Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today we are talking to Danny. Sounds like you're struggling a little bit with communication in your romantic relationship, um, wanting to communicate in ways that are sensitive to your partner's trauma, um, mm. but also still being able to be heard, still being able to express your needs. Um, it sounds like there's a little bit of back and forth, like maybe he's got some inability to take ownership it sounds like and what you wrote into but like what's mine what's his how can I communicate you know respectfully but also truthfully maybe mm-hmm. so I'd love for, to, for you to kind of take us deeper absolutely um, I'm happy to to be here and to share more so you know my relationship uh, only started in the last eight weeks but you know from the jump I understood that I was entering a relationship with someone who's experienced some really deep traumas mm-hmm. um, from sexual abuse and other violence to um, really feeling uh, scarred by a lot of death in the family mm-hmm. uh, at, in childhood. Mm-hmm. And so, so my aim in reaching out to you both was to really understand how I can um, how I can communicate, yes, how I can communicate my needs in a way that can be heard, especially when the barrier to communication right now seems to be um, a lot of um, traumatic language kind of coming up from him. Mm. And it's, it's um, accusatory from him. Mm. And, um, and it, and it feels like everything gets redirected or deflected around these old traumas, Mm. at least that's, that's kind of the sense that I'm having right now. Could you give us maybe an example of like a need that you had tried to communicate where it feels like it got kind of deflected or, or redirected? Sure. Um, the quick story is that um, I had an, uh, had an appointment, a very important appointment that I shared um, and we live together, I should say that. Um, I shared that, you know, this appointment was going to happen in the morning. And so I got dressed, I said my goodbyes and I went to my appointment. And while I was in the appointment, um, I was getting a lot of frantic texts saying it's urgent, it's urgent, come back home now. Um, And rather, I should also say, these were emails. That's very important. These were emails saying it's urgent, come back now. So I said, you know what, I'm in the middle of this thing. No, no, it's urgent, I need you without question. So um, I imagined a couple of scenarios in my head where that could possibly be the case. And um, I rushed home, arrived maybe 30 minutes later to be accused of actually stealing his phone. And, And I said, no, I mean, you sent me an email. You said it was urgent. Do you really need the phone? And the response I got was like, if you, if you didn't take it, then it, it must be here. So why don't you help me find it? And I was like, that's reasonable. Okay. I'll help you find it. The moment I found it, it returned back to, you know what? You've had the phone the whole time. 
that there's I've already looked in the place where you found this phone. And so it turned into this, you've betrayed me conversation. Okay. I want to ask just some clarifying background information. So have you known him for a while and then it turned into a romantic relationship? Like explain the, the eight weeks and the living together. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I mean, succinctly, I guess, explain it, right? Because I don't want to take up too much time with that in this session, but. We didn't know each other. And on our second date, um, our plans quickly changed from uh, let's go on this hike to I think I'm having a medical emergency. And so that touched off a number of strange happenings where he ended up living with me because he was mm-hmm. kicked out of the place where he lived. Mm-hmm. So initially your question was, how do I communicate in a way that I'm able to be heard? Um, it's, it's tough for me differentiating a little bit of like the scope of what we're dealing with mm-hmm. feels bigger yeah, than maybe bigger communication, than communication issues. And relationship, right? So yeah. without obviously, I mean, it's hard for us to go into it too deeply here, but even just like the quick explanation you gave of the, the meeting, uh, it sounds like there is a lot more nuance to his background, his trauma and his personality structure mm-hmm. than maybe you knew at the time and are probably just figuring out now. Right. So I think Danae pretty much hit it on the head. Like, I don't, I don't know necessarily if this is at this point, a communication thing, or if this is more, um, this person potentially might need some more individual help. Some additional that support that maybe you're not going to be able to give. And, you know, from the perspective of our conversation with you, I feel like it becomes, I might've gotten myself a little bit in over my head. Um, what do I do now? Right. Yeah. And I will say in the last 10 minutes, I had a conversation around um, the new boundary that I'm setting that we can't live together another day. And so um, I actually just terminated the romantic relationship. Um, And so, yes, Um, he took it well, but is also begging me to stay Mm -hmm. um, in the relationship. Yeah. And, and I'm declining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this is one of those places where I love to say the universe allows us to make a U-turn. And I think what we can say and sort of articulate to him is this was a lot really fast and I need a moment to sort of get my bearings to reground and we can't do that living together. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's just time to sort of like take a step back big breath and reassess where things are. But um, I guess this is like me giving you the permission slip to, to do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, me making a decision at one point doesn't mean I sort of like, now I've made my bed. I have to lie. Right. I have to stay in this decision, you know? Yes. Thank you for that. I, I definitely feel like if I look back at my own history, I've been um, sort of uh, conditioned for a long-term uh, suffering and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I don't want to um, make that my, my repetitive habit here. Mm. Well, so it feels like this U-turn to use Danae's language might actually be a bigger opportunity for you than even it appears on the surface, because this might actually be the opportunity that you need to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Let's step back, pull back 30,000 feet, right. Um, on 
my past romantic experiences, my childhood experiences, my decisions, my this, my that, right? Whatever the path looks like and say, all right, like let's start examining the whys and the where's and the hows and and this is it. Like this is, it, it feels mm-hmm. like this might be that perfect opportunity. Absolutely, I agree with you. And it has been very hard to find the words to say mm-hmm. um, because I do find myself very conscientious and concerned about the impact that I'm having with my words mm-hmm. and not having the same reciprocal experience has been very, very hard. Yeah. Has that been your experience? Do you feel like in general? Only this relationship and the one just prior to it, as well as growing up. That was my household experience. Mm-hmm. Will you say more about how that showed up growing up? Yeah, um, I definitely felt that I didn't have a voice mm-hmm. and no one was particularly interested in my feelings at any given moment from my parents to my sibling. And, um, and so my life's work feels like it's intertwined with finding my voice and I mean, professionally and personally. And so um, what I end up doing to compensate for that is really trying to think deeply about what kind of word choices I could be making. I write mm-hmm. things, I script things. And when I deliver them, they're lately they've been starting to feel more and more natural as I'm 44 years old and finally gotten enough practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as I hear you say that, Um, this does feel like an opportunity that is being presented Mm -hmm. um, to do some inner child work and sort of be that fierce protector for my little girl, you know, that I don't have to say this perfectly. Um, I just got to take care of myself right now. And that's actually my job. That becomes my North Star, the thing that I continuously come back to in a way that I have been struggling to do for a lifetime in this moment. I'm taking care of me first. Um, Mm -hmm. What I feel and what I need and my voice is enough um, for it to be okay. And someone needing me is actually not enough of a reason to enter into anything Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's such a great point. Thank you. Like I'm worthy of it being both of us have a voice. Both of us have a solid sense of self. We enter into something together consciously. We're both heard. We're both able to communicate, um, and it's not based on, you know, what I'm giving, and and how I'm showing up in in my caretaking and and being needed. It's not based on what I'm giving or my mm-hmm. caretaking. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Big resonant <laughs> smile on yeah. that one. Yeah. 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 Does, does that feel like maybe a pattern? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I've had therapy appointments talking about very much so the caretaking that I've fallen into in every major relationship. Yeah. What advice, ladies, do you have um, to coach me around actually seeing the best in someone, no matter who they are, despite what my present experience is with them? One of my things that I, I, I often come back to with clients is if my compassion does not include myself, it's not authentic compassion, right? So if I have to abandon myself in order to be loving to you, that's actually not love. 
um, that is often like people pleasing, me attempting to manipulate the situation to keep things copacetic, to keep us good. Um, yeah. And so I think if I'm not present in the space of what is happening in this dynamic, then it isn't true. And I think I can hold with so much compassion why this person is showing up this way or what their history has been. Um, and sometimes the loving hand is the hand that says no, that sets a boundary that says this is what's not okay. Um, I believe actually it isn't loving for us to let people cross our boundaries without um, any sort of line that you can't cross with me. Um, it's it's like if we're dealing with children, right? Um, sometimes like containing and having- um, Like rules <laughs> and structure. Thank you, structure was the word I couldn't find, <laughs> is the loving way to, um, to hold the situation. And I think that we, we teach people how to treat us by what we tolerate and what we allow. And so um, I believe that, yeah, our compassion has to start with ourselves. Our love has to start with ourselves. And, you know, one thing I want to name, because I think that this may be something that comes up and inevitably I find when we're sort of attempting to break some of these codependent patterns and V can certainly speak to this better than I can. Um, but it's that space of sitting in the knowing that I can state a boundary and this person can be upset about it and I don't have to fix that for them. They can have whatever mm -hmm. reaction they want to have. Actually has nothing to do with me. <laughs> yep. That's their, their side of the street to keep clean. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. my side is what I'm saying, what I'm stating. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And to, and to build on what, what Danae's saying, you know, as far as the way that you view them, I'm trying to think of how, to, how the best way to say this. I think there's a there's a skill in separating the person from the action mm. um, while also holding them accountable for their actions, right? So it's what Danae said, like, I can hold you in compassion for your history and, and kind of the why for how you're showing mm -hmm. up like this and also still be very boundaried around not allowing the behavior that's happening from it, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that I look at you, you know, like a horrible person. It doesn't mean that I, and also sometimes I'm just going to call this out. Sometimes you kind of need that. Like, I, I do think that a lot of us feel bad or feel like bad people when we're like looking at somebody and going, ugh, this person, or I can't stand this or, you know, fuck them. I'm angry at them. I hate them, whatever. Right. I, I work with this a lot with clients around their parents when they first start doing mm -hmm. a lot of work around their parents, um, and blame and stuff. And, and my big thing is like, I don't think we need to also be so quick to jump through the anger. Um, sometimes anger is really good momentum to get us through hard things, hard action, hard steps that we need to take in the moment for either protection, self-understanding, self-evolution, self-compassion, whatever the thing is, anger can be a really good motivator. And I think a lot of times, especially as women, we are very conditioned to be like, well, don't be angry, jump to forgiveness. You know, they're good people at the heart. That might all also be true, but that might not be your truth for 10 years. And that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. you a bad person. So there's two things at play, I guess, to go back to your question is like, you can separate the person from the action, still have a boundary, right? And not allow the, uh, the behavior. And, or you can also just be like, right now I need to be fucking mad and look at you in this specific way. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to forgiveness at some point. And I just want to name too, as you say that V, that I think that's really true. And I think that when someone is coming from a place of like, 
but I'm wounded. How right, can you right. do this to me when I'm in a space of hurting? This is what has always happened to me. Yeah. It is really natural for us to feel like a bad person. Totally. And so what I want to name is like, I think some of this becomes our own self-worth work, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, it doesn't make me a bad person to choose myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that a lot of times as women is our work as well, right? Like that it's selfish to choose me, that it's selfish to say like, I deserve peace and I deserve to feel okay in my home or whatever the, the thing is. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, have so much love and compassion for you. And, you know, what does Glennon say? Um, it's me, myself, and I till death do this part. Like when given the choice between anybody else, I will choose me. I think that is the harder step for most of us as women to take. Mm -hmm. And so um, make that the practice, I think a little bit, because I, I can just see inevitably there's going to be some pushback of like, how could you do this to me? I was going to say, when you said, oh, they, they, he seems totally okay with it. There was an eyebrow raise. I was like, <laughs> like well, in this conversation. 10 minutes ago, but I'm right. sure there'll be a follow-up to that. It just, it ring, it, it, it feels very much to me like this is probably not going to be as fluid and, and painless as just a conversation on the phone you know um i could be wrong i hope i'm wrong but my gut says that i'm probably not um and so yeah. i think a lot of these practices that today and i are talking about are going to come in handy for you um in the you know this next foreseeable kind of moment absolutely and and i had a follow-up question if you don't mind yeah of course uh vanessa you mentioned accountability and and i'm curious to know, do you feel like stating a consequence is always a part of the accountability con uh, conversation? Or is there another way that you like to frame things up? Hmm. I think it depends on the situation. I don't think there's a blanket statement that I can say for that, but I am a big believer in when it comes to boundaries, um, setting or stating the boundary is actually only 50% of the work around boundaries. The other 50% is actually upholding the consequence if somebody crosses the boundary. Um, which mm -hmm. is the choosing you component to it. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't have to look like, uh, you know, an ultimatum. It doesn't have to look like, here's the consequence. Let me state it. Um, sometimes that consequence is something that we just know internally. And then we have to respect it ourselves by ho holding ourselves to the consequence, right? So if, if the actions that were taken, if the consequence that you feel is, is true in your gut is this needs to be done. Like if we're using him as the example, this needs to be done we need to not be living together. We need to not be romantically involved. If that's what the gut says, the consequence is, then that's the consequence. And now your work is to help yourself uphold that consequence to this person. Do you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. otherwise there there's, you're only doing 50% of the boundary work. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It does make sense. So it doesn't have to be so like blatant, right? Like I think a lot of times for, for a lot of us, the consequence feels very much like, I have to state the consequence and it has to feel like an ultimatum. And it's like, well, sometimes you actually don't even need to say it out loud. Sometimes that consequence is a felt sense for yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And there's just something so like parental about the word consequence. Yeah, like yeah. to me, why I like accountability more is yeah. that like, I'm not parenting you, right? No. Like the accountability is more to myself right. and this is the boundary that I've set and this is what I'm going to do and what I'm willing to do. And if this isn't the case, then I'm holding myself accountable to the way that I'm going to show up in this relationship. Like I'm not giving other adults consequences. Consequence. That's not mm -hmm. my job, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why I feel like it feels like a felt sense, right? Like internally you're like, mm, this is what I need to do to feel like I'm respecting myself, that I'm choosing myself, that I'm being authentic. And so that's what I'm gonna do. It's like, I'm holding myself accountable, 
right? Very good. That is so incredibly helpful. Thank you for framing that for me. Yeah. I think this is going to be really helpful for people to hear. I mean, whether or not they are in the same kind of circumstance, I think it's just a reminder to all of us that we have to choose us. Mm. We have to choose us. And sometimes we are given opportunities where it's just like, it's kind of a slap in the face. It's like that mirror gets held up and it's like, okay, you've been saying that you're doing this work. You've been saying that you're ready. (laughs) Here you go. Prove me wrong. (laughs) Right. And, and, and if we're not open to being like, oh shit, this is that, this is that moment then it can slip by. And, um, so, you know, I think anybody that's listening, it's like, where in your life has that moment been given to you? And, and, you know, have you taken the call? The lessons just keep on coming. Life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it, it did dawn on me today. I am the only person here responsible for looking out for me, regardless of whether I am the only person who is looking out for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Big breath into yeah. that. I think our whole world changes when we do step into that space of like, I'm actually going to be my fierce protector. I am going to be the person that takes care of me as I've sort of been longing for someone to do for a lifetime, right? Like if we tap back into that space of what our inner child was hungry for when we were little, maybe what we we needed to hear that we didn't hear, what we needed to be supported in that we didn't have the support around. Can I give myself that now? There's such deep healing that comes in that space of like, I've always been here with me. I'm here with me now. And I know for sure, I will always be here with me. So I'm the one that I can count on and I need me now. I need me to choose me now, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, Danae, I want to use that as a meditation every day. <laughs> that really got me in the heart. <clears throat> Beautiful. Well, I really appreciate Danny bringing this to us and kind of letting us in on your world a little bit. And will you keep us posted on kind of how things go and how it progresses and how you're, how you're progressing, you know, maybe we'll even have you back for a follow-up. Certainly. I would love to visit again. And yeah. thank you very much for having me. Oh, you take you. care of yourself. Love. Thank you, ladies. I have to say this one was, this one was tough for me. You know, mm. we do these 30 minute sessions and there's only so much that we can obviously, I don't want to say accomplish, but I guess accomplish in 30 minutes. We've had a couple of sessions like this where it's very apparent to us very quickly that this is not a 30 minute coaching session. Right. Mm. And then it's like, okay, you and I are very in sync as friends and as partners in this world and this work that we're able to go, okay, how do we pivot this and make this a coaching session? Yes. But let me just use this platform and this opportunity to talk again. And I will ring this from whatever mountain and shout this from whatever rooftop. There is a big difference between coaching and therapy y'all. And there is only so much to be done in a 30 minute coaching session and the trauma and the delusion and the potential um, unsafe scenario, all these things are not things that we're going to go into in a 30 minute conversation. And I think that's funny because I think intuitively both of us were feeling, you know, like a little bit like our therapist hat started to like pop on where we're a little bit like, okay, we need you to be safe. We're a little bit concerned about like, what are the dynamics of the situation that to your point in 30 minutes, we can't really dig into, but obviously some alarm bells start to come 
up for us as we're hearing about, you know, some of the dynamics that seem like they're playing out here. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess I just say that it's like when you hear sessions like this, there are very conscious choices being made by Danae and I about what we talk about and what we don't talk about, mm. how far or how deep we can get in 30 minutes and how far and deep we don't want to go because you don't want to get too deep and then leave somebody uncontained and right. kind of pick a scab that you, you in that moment can't help contain. Right. And so right. I just think this was a really good example of that. And I, I hope that she takes some of what we said and, um, uses it in her next steps and, and keeps herself safe and chooses herself. Um, and I, like I kept saying, using this as an opportunity to actually then go deeper, right? Mm. That's that therapy work. Yeah, We can do the kick, the kickoff, the coaching. Okay. And now it's like, you've got this really good nugget mm. to now go do the deeper work that's required. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin. Thank you.